Well, last week, the Virginia Commonwealth University Rams basketball team had two unbelievable endings. In both of these games, one versus St. Bonaventure and one versus George Washington University, VCU was losing in both games with 0.4 seconds left in each one of the games and won both games. Now, you say that's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Let me show you what happened. So here are these two games. They're losing both games, and yet they come back and win both times with literally less than one second on the clock in each game. Now, what we learn about this VCU team is that they have a no-quit attitude. They are embodying what we were taught since we were little, which is it ain't over till it's over, right? And so until that final buzzer sounds... It's never too late. And in our passage this morning, we're learning the same lesson from a man on the cross. It's never too late until you draw your final breath. You might be at the very end of your life, but it's never too late to decide to follow Jesus. So if you have your Bibles open, I ask that you stand in honor of God's word if you're able. 
As we continue our series through Luke's gospel today, we're in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 39. And the word of God says this. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Thank you. You may be seated. Today I want us to learn about how it's never too late. And what we see taking place here in this passage of Scripture is a conversion experience of this man that's hanging on the cross. And as part of any conversion experience, we see sort of a, a, a model of what's taking place here in this passage. And the first thing that we see is sin. That's where the passage begins. It begins with sin. These two men are being led to Golgotha with Jesus because of their sin. In, verse, in chapter 23 and verse 32, the Bible says, Two others also who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. In Matthew's gospel, he identifies these two men as robbers. And so now these two men are going to go to the cross to pay for their offenses. Under the Roman government, they were to be crucified. They were to be put to death for what they had done. Yet even as this one man is hanging on the cross, hands with nails through them, feet with nails through them, is doubling down in his sin. He's, he's reveling in his sin. Look what he says in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The Greek word that Luke uses there is the word blasphemeo. It's translated here as hurling insults, but it's the word we get our English word blaspheme from. That's what he's doing. He's, he's blaspheming Jesus. He's ridiculing the Christ. He says, I, I'm not ashamed of, of my sin. I am, I am uh, I'm proud of my sin, even as he is staring death in the face. And this is the place where every single one of us we'll find ourselves at some point. Because Romans chapter 3, verse 23 teaches us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you might not be a thief like this man, but you have sin in your life. You might be a murderer. You might be a cheat. You might be a liar. You might be an adulterer, you might be a gossip, you might be a drunkard, maybe you've lusted, maybe you've coveted, maybe you've disobeyed your parents, but in some way you have sinned against a holy God and you find yourself in the same position as this man because the Bible teaches us that there are consequences for our sin. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says that the wages or the penalty or the consequence for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the sentence 
for our sin is death. Just as this man was sentenced to death for what he had done, so you and I will die one day because of our sin. And this is bad news. In fact, it's the worst news. Because we're all guilty and there's nothing that we can do about it. The judgment, the judgment is just. And the judgment has been cast and you and I are going to die. But there's good news. The good news is that this man that's hanging on the cross next to him is the Savior of the world. Amen. That this man that's hanging on the cross next to him is there to save us. And you and I are staring down death just like this thief on the cross. And the question that each of us has to answer in our own hearts is this one. Are we going to double down on our sin like this man? Or are we going to turn to the Savior? The passage doesn't end with sin. We see, secondly, that there was conviction. There was this second thief on a cross, on the other side of Jesus. And this man was not like the thief on the opposite side. He's not joining in hurling insults at Jesus. He's not blaspheming Jesus. Instead, he's rebuking the other thief for what he's doing in verse 40. He says, do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? You don't find this man reveling in his sin. In fact, this man is ashamed of his sin. This man is, is sorry over his sin. He feels remorse. He's under conviction. He asks him, do you not even fear God? It's what the Proverbs tell us in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so here's this man, he's, he's facing the consequences for what he had done. He's, he's facing the consequences for his sin, and now he fears the Lord. Facing your own mortality will cause a person to do that. Most people don't like to think about things like the end of your life, but I think it's a good thing. You say, why is that? Because it makes you to think about what's important in life. It causes you to, to live with purpose. This man here, he, he knows that he is facing condemnation because of his sin. And now you see him repenting of his sin. Turning from it. That's what repent means, to turn away from our sin. Do a U-turn away from our sin. And he's repudiating his sin. In verse 41 it says, We indeed are suffering justly. For we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. And so you find this thief there admitting his sin. He's saying we deserve what we're receiving for what we have done. The problem is that many people won't admit their sin. They try to deny that it is sin. They try to make excuses for why they are committing sin. But that's not what this man is doing. He is confessing his sin before him. He's saying, we deserve what we've done. Our, we're suffering justly because of it. You have others that will recognize that it is sin, but they don't care. They don't repent of it. They just act like it's not a big deal. They'll, they'll, 
they'll try to uh, ride the fence and walk a middle ground to say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm also going to keep on doing everything I want to do, sin in my life. Now, I'm not saying that you won't still be tempted or that you won't struggle with sin once you follow Jesus, but you won't think that the sin is okay. And you won't think that you don't need forgiveness for it. So you find this man here agreeing with God about his sin. He's saying, I am suffering justly. This sentence is is right because of what I have done. But he also recognizes the remedy for his sin. He says, this man, this man has done nothing wrong. You're hurling insults at him and you're, you're, you're asking him, are you not the Christ? Look at him. He is innocent. He is the Christ. And I am turning from my sin and I am putting my faith in him to save me. We'll all come to this place at some point in our lives as well. Where the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. To bring us to conviction. The Holy Spirit might be doing this work in your heart even as I'm speaking to you right now. And you will feel guilt over your sin. And you will recognize that it is sin. That it is evil. That it is wrong. That it is an affront to a holy God. And the Holy Spirit will point us to the Savior. To Jesus Christ. And you will go one of two ways in that moment. You will either remain in your sin like the thief on the one side who is blaspheming Jesus, or you'll repent of your sin, like the thief on the other side who is calling out to Jesus. And so the question that you have to answer in your heart today is are you going to remain in your sin, or are you going to turn to the Savior? There was a Chinese pastor once by the name of Watchman Nee, and he said, Now is the hour that we should humbly prostrate ourselves before God, willing to be convicted afresh of our sins by the Holy Spirit. Now is the time that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, bringing you to conviction, bringing you to this point of faith, which is the third thing that we see in this passage of Scripture. This one thief now is expressing his faith in Jesus to save him. He's saying, Jesus, I need you. I have followed my ways. I have pursued my own desires and my passions. I have gone the path that seemed right to me, and this is where it's gotten me. I'm hanging on a cross, paying for my wrongdoing. Now I'm, I am turning from my sin, and I'm turning to you. I'm calling on you to save me, Jesus. This is what he says in verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And in that moment, this man was placing his trust in Jesus as his Savior and Lord. This is a profession of his faith in Jesus. He says, remember me when you, the Lord, Savior, come in your kingdom. And let me tell you, this would not have been an easy thing to do at that moment. After all, I mean, he's hanging on a cross. <laughs> Hands and feet nailed together. 
He's got this other guy over here that's hurling insults at Jesus and blaspheming him. And he's not the only one. Everyone out in the crowd, the chief priests and the Roman centurions and them, are standing around hurling insults at Jesus as well. And frankly, it's not looking too great for Jesus at this moment. I mean, this isn't the best time to put your faith in him as your Savior. He's about to die on a cross. Everyone around him is mocking. There was absolutely no peer pressure to follow Jesus at this point. There was no groundswell of popular support for Jesus at this moment. You simply have a man and his maker side by side. And he turns to Jesus and he says, I need you. I need you. Remember me. I want to be part of your kingdom. And each of us has to make that same confession to be part of God's kingdom. We must turn to Jesus and say, I need you to save me. Yes, sir. In John's gospel in chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's what this man did. He believed in him. He says, Jesus, remember me. And what he received was the right to become a child of God. To be part of this kingdom of God. And it might be an unpopular decision. It might be a decision that's difficult for you to make at the moment. But you're going to be given an opportunity in just a few minutes during our time of invitation, when I'm standing here at the front with some of the other pastors, and it is your chance today to make the decision that these, this man made on the cross that day. To turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus and to be saved. And I want you to know that Satan will do everything he can to prevent you from making that decision this morning. He's going to say, well, you don't want to do it in front of all these people. He's going to say, well, what is your family going to think? I mean, what are your friends going to say if you go and you do this thing today? You know that everyone's going to say you're a hypocrite, right? Look, let, let's talk about this. Let's just do it another time. You can have another time to do it. But in the face of all opposition." You say, I believe, Jesus. I believe. There were two people in our first service that came and made that decision this morning. And I believe that there are some around today that need to do the same thing. Remember me. Save me. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, the Bible says, Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's how you overcome the world. By believing that Jesus is the Son of God. The hymn writer Isaac Watts expressed it like this. I believe the promises of God enough to venture an eternity on them. Amen. So today the question is, will you reject the Savior of the world like the one thief? Or will you put your faith in Jesus to save you like the other one? If you do, you'll experience, number four, salvation. 
I want you to notice Jesus' response to this step of faith by the thief on the cross. In verse 43, he says to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Wow! I mean, there is no sweeter promise than this one. This man who is condemned in his sins and his trespasses, who is quite literally hanging on a cross, became convicted of his sin and put his faith in Jesus to save him from his sin. And Jesus told this man, even though you deserve death because of your sin, I am dying to atone for your sin. I am paying your debt of death on the cross and you are going to have eternal life instead. Prophet Isaiah describes it like this in Isaiah chapter 25 in verses 7 through 9. He says, On this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all the nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He'll remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. He says, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. This man that's hanging there on the cross that's expressing his faith in Jesus, he deserved the horrors of hell because of his sin. The weeping and the gnashing of teeth and the outer darkness. The fires that are never quenched. The agony, the suffering. But instead, Jesus says to him, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. The place that I've prepared for those who trust in me. A place where there is no mourning or crying. A place where there's no pain or suffering. A place where there's no disease or decay. A place that's filled with life and light where we will dwell in the presence of Almighty God. The Apostle John describes it like this in Revelation 22 and verse 3. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll no longer be any night. They'll not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they'll reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and they're true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. He says, you need to listen, you need to heed these words. This paradise is there. And even now, we live on this earth that is fallen in sin. The the effects of sin are all around us, are they not? We see wars and rumors of wars. There's oppression, there's poverty, there's addiction. There's crime, there's hatred and bigotry, there's violence and wickedness. There are broken marriages and broken homes and broken friendships. And we know that deep down that this is not right, this is not what we were made for, this is not good. But in Revelation 21 verse 5, 
The one that sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He says it's not always going to be this way. I am restoring all things. I am making all of the wrong things right. And you can be with me in paradise. Paradise. And so now is the point of decision. You've come to the same point that these two men came to that day on the cross. They both were faced with a Savior right there between them. One made the wrong decision and one made the right decision. That day, this man died on a cross and he went and he spent an eternity in hell apart from God because of his sin and his rebellion. This man died on the cross that day because he put his faith in Jesus to save him, that day he went to be with him in paradise. In just a moment, you're going to have the exact same decision to make. Which one will you choose? You know that you have sin in your heart. You recognize that. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin. And so today, will you turn to Jesus by faith to save you? Will you receive the salvation of the Lord? You see, it's never too late so long as you're still breathing. Even in the final moments, the final minutes of this man's life, he was able to repent and to believe in Jesus. And it's not too late for you today. Will you come during this time of invitation and put your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ? Christians, this morning... The story of this man's salvation ought to inspire us to tell this good news. This good news is able to save someone even at the 11th hour, right before the stroke of midnight in this man's life. It's never too late for that lost family member. It's never too late for that lost friend or that lost co-worker or that lost classmate. So will you be faithful to tell them about the salvation of Jesus Christ, about the paradise and the eternal life that he has granted to all who would put their hope and trust in him? Will you come and pray for their salvation today and be a witness unto them of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, for this poignant moment in the life of Jesus where you had two men making this decision. Lord, my prayer today is for those across this auditorium who have never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm pleading that they would trust in Jesus today. Lord, they put their faith in him the one that shed his blood on the cross for their sin, the one that rose from the dead on the third day so they'd have life and victory and salvation, and that today, Lord, they could be born again, children of God, and they would receive this eternal life, this paradise that he's prepared for us. God, I know that there will be distractions, there will be all sorts of things that Satan would want to do to keep them from making this decision. 
God, I pray that they would have courage, they'd have boldness to step out during this time and to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. God, there might be some even across the sanctuary that you're calling to become part of this church family. They've already made a decision to follow Jesus in their heart before. But God, you're calling them to become part of this fellowship to serve you here in this community. And God, if that's the decision they're making, Lord, I pray they'd come as well during this time to unite with our church fellowship. That however, Lord, you're speaking to our hearts, this would be the time that we would be doers of the word and not just those who hear it only. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.